you know, the person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. If you have not been here for any of the weeks leading up to this week, I highly suggest you go on our website, you go on Apple Podcasts and listen to those sermons. Uh, the preaching team and I, like, we have been, we have been so blessed by coming into contact more intimately with the person of the Holy Spirit. Just watching him move and impact as we learn more about him, we get to just see him working in more aspects of our lives. And it's, it's been a really enlightening thing. And so if you have not been here for any of those weeks, I highly suggest you go back and read those. Uh, we are going to be making our way this morning through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we have been, you know, just easing into this week by week. We have been going through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so far, we have gone through who the Holy Spirit is. That He is God manifest. That He is God present. The living and active and breathing God here with us. Experiencing intimacy with us and guiding us. We learned about the work of the Holy Spirit, that He is about the mission of God, glorifying and exalting the name of Christ. And we have learned about the baptism and about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And Dom gave this really clever analogy that I just can't get out of my head of the Flintstones. I, I, I love that analogy. How some of us, we, we are in this car right? We're going to the destination. We're saved. We're going to make it, but we're pedaling ourselves with our own feet. There's no engine in our car. And that we require this baptism power of the Holy Spirit to empower us for the mission of God. We require this continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And now as we dive into the anointing of the Holy Spirit this morning, it is often tempting to look in it as a similar thing, as like this, this filling or this baptism. Oftentimes we think of somebody being anointed and we think of it synonymously with talent, don't we? I know at least I do. When I see a talented worship leader or preacher or somebody who is maybe just a talented orator, right? Where they just, they are so articulate and, you know, able to communicate in a really good fashion. Or they are gifted, gifted prayer warriors, whatever they might be. I often say, wow, they're so anointed because I see talent over their lives. Does that make sense? I see that there's some sort of talent. And when we Think about these specific people or these specific groups, worship leaders, preachers, teachers, intercessors, leaders. Outwardly and practically, this, you know, may look a lot like talent. They look very similar. An anointing of the Holy Spirit does mean that there's some sort of effectiveness behind what people do. But we must be careful to not mistake anointing for talent. To not mistake anointing for talent. The two may seem outwardly the same, but the source is different. The source is different. One is a natural or learned or given gift. The other is a specific appointment of the Holy Spirit. Specific work of the Holy Spirit. And we see this exemplified in Jesus in Luke chapter 4. So if you'll turn there with me and then we'll pray. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says this. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they also said, Isn't this Joseph's son? So this is God's word. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the sense that many of us, our weeks, maybe our months, or maybe this entire year, has been that marked with chaos. That chaos has filled our personal lives, our relationships, our workplaces, our homes. And that sometimes this chaos can almost seem like this unvanquishable dragon that we're just unable to overcome. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would bring order and peace to the chaos this morning. That you would speak truth into our lives. That you would anoint not only the speaking of the word, but the hearing of the word. That the anointing of your Holy Spirit would be upon our understanding. That you would illuminate your word for us. That it would affect us deeply and profoundly. We give honor to you this morning, Lord. We praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there is Jesus here. He's at his hometown in Nazareth. He's at his hometown in Nazareth, and there's almost like these people in front of him are looking at this clear distinction. There's this almost like this before and after photo of Jesus. Because Jesus grew up in Nazareth, and he grew up as the carpenter's son. He grew up as Joseph's son. And, and, and when, when, when he's speaking and teaching like this, they're all loving what he's saying, but they're also marveling. And then they get a little bit angry, we see a little later on, because of what he's saying. Because it, it just comes as so unexpected. We learn that the, before Jesus is here, before he comes to teach in Nazareth, he was baptized by John and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as in the form of a dove. And you hear the words of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we have learned that the filling and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is God's favor manifest. God's favor manifest. And so this happens to Jesus. And then it says in Luke chapter 3 that he is led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And that's where he goes to be tempted by Satan. He, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness at this point. And, 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 and that's, that's a very interesting thing, that the Spirit would lead him into chaos like that. It's very interesting. And we're going to tackle that a little bit later on, that the Spirit led him into this place. And out on the other end, he comes to Nazareth, he, he teaches these people, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Christ here, after being after the Spirit descends upon him, after God's favor is declared publicly upon him, he goes into the wilderness by the Spirit. He now comes, and this is Christ, really, this is his first introduction into ministry here. This is his introduction, and he begins by declaring that he is anointed by God to preach. By God to preach the good news. And he openly says, okay, today we're beginning. Today this word is fulfilled. We are going to be bringing good news to the poor. We are going to be proclaiming release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. We're going to set free the oppressed. Jesus is ushering in his ministry here. And this is staggering for people to hear. It's staggering for people to hear because this is this guy made their shelves, right? He's the carpenter. He's the one who made their armoire in their bedroom. And, and, and so, and, and so they're, they're having a hard time wrapping. What is this? Where is this contrast happening? And what changed that Jesus would declare this in front of his hometown after 30 years? What changed? What changed was that he is now declaring Isaiah 61 to be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit has now anointed him and ushered him into this ministry. That is the Holy Spirit's prompting and anointing that has now led him into this place where it is time to set free the captives. It is time to set free the captives. Jesus is declaring himself to be the anointed one. And the power of the Holy Spirit rested upon him for the purposes of all of these things. And what's really interesting is that Christ actually means the anointed one of God. The word Messiah means anointed one. And so for him to say, for him to open up Isaiah 61 and say, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news, to set free the captives, by Jesus saying this, he is declaring to everyone in here, Today, I'm revealing to you, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. And so we see that anointing, anointing is a really, really powerful identification, isn't it? To be anointed of God is this, it's this Christocentric title here. To be an anointed one is to be the Messiah. Now, to call someone else anointed, obviously, is not to call them the Messiah, right? When we say, oh, that, that person's a really anointed worship leader, or that person is really anointed with kids, we don't say, well, that person is the redeemer of kids. However, however, what is amazing here is that when Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, took on all of the sins of humanity on his shoulders, and then rose again on the third day, and then grafted us into his identity, we now get to share in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We get to share on that special, favorable title with Jesus, that the power of anointing and the mission of anointing we now get to share in. And that is a beautiful thing, because we share in his identity, we share in his anointing and his mission. And we get to now, 
by the power of God, by the grace of God, by the identification of Jesus calling us his, we now get to preach the good news to the poor. We now get to proclaim release to the captives, recover sight to the blind, and set free the oppressed in Jesus' name. We get to share in Christ's mission. And because we share in Christ's mission, we share in his anointing. We share his Holy Spirit. There's a cooperation that occurs. And so as we dive into the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we need to answer a few questions, right? Like first, what is it? What is anointing? And then second, how is anointing bestowed upon us? Yes, we are grafted into the identity of Jesus, and because we are Christians, we get to now be anointed by the Holy Spirit. But what, how does that work practically for us? And as I said before, we typically think of anointing as some sort of talent or specific filling of the Holy Spirit. And it is, but there's a nuance to it. Because it's different from baptism, and it's different from filling. Because there is this specific baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit that fuels our everyday lives, yes? That brings us closer into the presence of Jesus. We experience power as Christians, and we get to proclaim as Christians through the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit, but there is a specific nuance to anointing that makes it slightly different, and that nuance is that anointing is an enabling of the Spirit for a specific calling, task, mission, position, or opportunity. Anointing is a specific enabling of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a gift that God gives you, even though we will go into the spiritual gifts later, but it is a special equipping that comes in all different shapes and sizes because, because of this. God has called you personally to a very specific and personal calling, and he wants to meet a very specific need through you, and so he's going to give you a specific anointing to accomplish that. That it is not a general filling of the Holy Spirit. Rather, you as an individual, where God has placed you, need something super specific. And Jesus wants to meet that need through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to walk in and through you in the specific calling that you have on your life. God is anointing people to special tasks for his purposes. Special tasks. And it was the coming of the Holy Spirit, and it's in a unique task, and it's an unexplainable thing that happens. It's an unexplainable enabling, this almost sense of when you're doing it, you feel like you were born to do it. Like, this is what God has made me do. This is, this is what I am designed to do. This is the calling I am designed to work in. It is that specific enabling. Anoint means to set someone apart. To set somebody apart and to authorize them. You see, because it's Jesus' mission, right? He is the one who wants to proclaim uh, liberty to the captives, restore sight to the blind, to heal the downtrodden. He is the one who is active and engaging in that. And it's almost like he deputizes us with anointing. He deputizes us. He says, I want to give you a specific filling to go do this because I've called you to it. And that is the sweet part of anointing that is so personal to you. It is so personal. It is when all of the 
the sudden, a place, a gift, an activity, a service, or an action feels like this is what you were born to do. Anointing is the use of gifts with a specific unction and strength to help one rise to the occasion. Remember, like, and I was praying, and, and I really get the sense that so many of our lives are filled with so much chaos. There's these almost insurmountable things that we feel like we have to overcome in our lives. And there's these, these outside entities that seem to surround us, whether it be anxieties and stressors, whether it be a specific job that you've been called to, whether it be the kids that you have to raise, the family that you've been born into, that there's these specific things that surround you that feel like they only add chaos to your life. And that God would say, I would have you stand here with me and restore peace to this broken world. And I'm going to anoint you and walk with you. That's cool. That's cool. And we see it all throughout scripture and in our recent history. You see, Paul the Apostle, he was specifically anointed by God to be the Apostle of the Gentiles. Like, he, he would preach to the Jews, get rejected by the Jews. He'd preach to the Jews, get rejected by the Jews. But then he would preach to the Gentiles, and flocks and flocks of people would come to him. They would come to know Jesus as their Savior. And so Paul, he walked in this anointing saying, God has called me to be a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he walked in that anointing because that was where God had called him. Does that make sense? I have, a, I have a really good friend of mine who's also a pastor. And he's introvert to the max. Some of you are like this. Where it's like, it's, you, ask, you, know, you ask this person a question, and then they go, they pray, they meditate, they journal, they write it down. And they, they just meditate over it for hours and just seek the Lord, or they just like get in their head, and then they're like, finally like, yeah, I think Mexican food sounds fine. <laughs> you know, he's one, he's one of those people. He's one of those people that it's just, you know, to, to, to bring forth sentences and coherent things, it, it takes a lot of effort for him. He's not like, like I'll just talk and talk, and then I'll throw up a bunch of wrong things, and then, like, one of them will be right, and be like, that's what I really meant, right? But, it, but he, he is just very, very much so soft-spoken, and so just seemingly inarticulate when you speak with him. Almost, uh, almost, or he, he's probably going to watch this and stuff, he, we're good friends, but it, almost, almost to a point, almost to a point, where you think he might be, like, slow when you're talking to him, now, this, this, is, this, is a, this is a thing where it's like, but when he preaches, everyone is captive. When he preaches, it is breathtakingly beautiful. And I feel so close to the Lord any time I sit under his teaching. It is amazing. That's anointing. That's anointing of God. To take somebody and say, I have called you to something specific, and I am not only going to call you to this thing, but I am going to mold and shape you to be able to rise to that calling. For you to be able to function in that calling. So it's not only God calls you, but then he equips you in the calling. 
This was, this was the life of the disciples, was it not? The life of the disciples, if you really think about it, they're fishermen, they're tax collectors. A couple of them are like teenagers, mind you. Take a 14-year-old. A couple of those were disciples. And so, it's, so it's, it's God called them, and then he equipped them. Then he anointed them. And their anointing matched their calling. We see this with preachers. We see this with evangelists, missionaries, community group leaders, worship leaders. We see these people that are called to something specific and then an anointing of Jesus, an anointing of God's Spirit upon them. We see this with Billy, we saw this with Billy Graham, did we not? A lot of the words that Billy Graham said were not, they weren't stuff that nobody else was saying, right? They weren't stuff that were just groundbreaking, you know, and, and nobody had ever heard this before, and oh my gosh, he's the best speaker I've ever heard, but, but he he proclaimed the gospel and people flocked to run to Jesus. That's anointing. A mentor of mine, he, uh, when he, he describes certain people and he says, yeah, they could burp in a cup and they'd come to Jesus. <laughs> That's anointing. It's a specific just excellence that God has placed on them. This is even given to specific groups of people, specific churches. In 1 John 2, Um, verses 20 and 27 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing which you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things. And so there's some churches that have have been ushered into this specific mission without, they're doing things that nobody's done before. Seeing people going into different areas of the world that have never been touched by the gospel. And then these groups are able to rise. And this is the disciples speaking of themselves. So this is happening with groups of people as well. And we can also sometimes sense when there's clearly no anointing on certain works, right? This is something that happens occasionally where you see someone try and manufacture some sort of spirituality. Where you see someone try and manufacture some sort of talent, some sort of praying, some sort of teaching, some sort of whatever. You see them, and it's because they're operating outside of what God has clearly told them to do. Because they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be noticed, they want to be recognized. God is not going to anoint a work that glorifies the person and the individual. He will anoint the work that progresses the kingdom of God forward and glorifies the name of Jesus and brings us closer into intimacy with him, amen? And one of the most clear examples of anointing that we see, and before we, I go into that, sorry, I just want to remind you, there's a call on your life. There's a calling on your life. There's something that God has for you. Some of you know it, and you're walking in it, and you're rocking it, and you feel the anointing of God, and some of you, you don't know it, and you need somebody to tell you, God has a specific purpose for you, to walk in, to walk with him in, to bring order to chaos like this. There's a specific call on your life, and one of the most clear pictures of anointing One of the most clear pictures of calling and anointing is the life of David, right? 
It's the, it's the anointing of David. And so we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you'll turn with me there. 1 Samuel chapter 16 says this. And it's going to kind of be, you know, we're going to go through about 13 verses. It's church. We'll be okay. But uh, it'll be a little long. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem, where the elders of the town met him. They trembled and asked, do you come in peace? In peace, he replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. So let's stop right there really quick. Samuel sees Eliab. He sees Eliab and he says, surely this is the one God wants to anoint. Surely this is the one God wants to anoint as king. What do you think he was probably using as indicators here? Looks, stature, charisma, talent, most likely. Clear indicators that, oh, this person should be qualified already for the job. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel, and the Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shema, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And after Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? I, I just think that's funny. Are these all the sons you have? All seven? Like there could possibly be more than seven sons. It's ridiculous. But there is. There is still the youngest, he answered. But right now he's tending the sheep. And Samuel, Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down and eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. We know what the Lord is really looking at, right? Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. This is a fascinating glimpse into the anointing of God at work. This is an amazing glimpse. And we see four things here, the four things at least that I've noticed here. We see four things that have to do with the anointing of God. That first, there is a clear predestination to the anointing of God. And don't get hung up on that word. Churches get really hung up on that word. What it means is that there is a pre-appointing done on God's end. He says, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. 
God had already pre-selected David. God knew the heart of David. This wasn't a job interview. Samuel didn't go in, line up all the sons, and ask them a bunch of questions, and, 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 you know, and then kind of analyze their answers. He didn't look at people's qualifications. They didn't submit their resumes. God knew David. And David knew God. So when the time came for Israel to need a king, God said, I already have my king. Because of the intimate, wonderful times that David shared in the wilderness when he was tending his sheep with Jesus. Second, the anointing of God is personal and specific to the person and task. The older brothers, though more talented, good-looking, able-bodied, whatever it might be, did not receive the anointing because it was David's calling. It was David's calling. And so David's, and therefore David's anointing. It was his task, therefore his anointing. And God said, I have called David to this, so why would I give the anointing to anybody else? So, so this, is, this is great. You have a specific calling because only you are the mother of your child. Only you are the father of your child. Only you hold the position you hold at work. Only you are the leader of that community group. Only you are the one who teaches those kids in kids ministry. You have these specific people around you and a specific calling that God has called for you. It also wasn't just, well, I'll, I'll just make him good at everything, right? It, it, it also wasn't just, well, I'll just make David good at all the things. It was, no, I've appointed him as king. We know that David wasn't good at a lot of things, yes? He was bad at many, 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 many things. But he was anointed as king. The anointing God is personal and specific. The anointing is a specific unction for a specific occasion. Once again, there's chaos around you. There's some specific task before you that God would have you face. In Exodus chapter 31, there was somebody that needed to be appointed and anointed to build the tabernacle where God would dwell. It says here, now the Lord spoke to Moses, Exodus 31, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I have called by name Bezalel. I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for the work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Isn't that beautiful? That God called an artist. You see, this wasn't a, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a king, he wasn't a warrior, he was an artist. And there was this specific function that was needed for God. And he had anointed him specifically to do that. To use his artistry to be able to glorify the Lord. Third, we see that anointing reflects the missional heart of God. God says this, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. We know this, we know that David was a man after God's own heart, yes? Yes. 
We know that David was a man just seeking after the heart of God. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he also reflects the heart of God, reflects the heart of God the Father and the God the Son. He is in active pursuit to exalt Christ, to develop holiness, and to engage in mission. This is the Holy Spirit. And so his anointing is going to be that which aligns with the heart of God. And so David, David's heart was aligned with God's heart, and so his anointing honored that. Since David was pursuing the things of God, God honored that pursuit with anointing, with this extra excellence, with this specific unction. We know that from studying the person of the Holy Spirit that he is the connector between our hearts and God's. And at some point in our life, whether we've done it already or whether we need to begin, there's this necessary pursuit of the heart of God. Pursuing his character, pursuing his heart, pursuing the furtherance of his kingdom. And as we are in pursuit of this, God honors that pursuit by saying, I am going to put extra wind in your sails. This is what David described in Psalm 23 when he said, you have anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Meaning that God didn't just fill David's cup. He didn't just fill him, he filled him to overflowing. That's what God wants to do in your life. He doesn't want to just give you what's necessary to raise your children, to thrive in your workplace, to bring people to him, to make disciples. He doesn't want to just give you the bare minimum, what is absolutely necessary. He wants to cause this overflowing in you. He wants you to run over. And there's a process there then of reoriented, reorienting my selfish heart that only seeks for the things of me to then transitioning into seeking the things of God. Living less for my selfish desires and more for the mission of God so that the filling and the anointing can take place. Lastly, the anointing happens to us by God's Spirit and by God's Spirit alone. Even Jesus draws this distinction where he says the Holy Spirit has anointed me to preach. You notice that? That Jesus, even himself, isn't saying that he has already, in and of himself, already has this capability to proclaim liberty to the captives, to preach the good news. He says, no, the Holy Spirit has anointed me. And so how can we think any different? That we can operate outside the anointing of God for what he has called us to do. When we were uh, worshiping, I was just praying and being self-critical and, you know, those spiraling self-doubt and thoughts that go on in your head. Don't judge me. You have them too, yes? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling terrible about myself during worship, to be honest with you. Just all this doubt and, ugh. And God gave me this vision for me and for us, I think. And this vision of this, I'm just like sitting here. I'm sorry, this, is, this might be a little weird, but okay. So I'm sitting outside this house. 
And there's this bright light coming from the doors and the windows. And the door is wide open. The door is wide open. Clearly the presence of God is in this house. Door wide open, welcoming as all can be. And I'm out here taking some of the stones on the patio and trying to build a house. Trying to build a house big enough that I can like squeeze in or fit in. I realize that that's how I can be with anointing. I don't know if any of you have felt this way. Like you, you know you need strength. You know you need something extra. You know you need this unction and this wind beneath your sails to raise your children, to go to work, to be faithful, to build your home, to be a loving husband or wife. You know you need this. And instead of walking into the presence of God where this is freely given, we try and build our own thing. It is by God's Spirit and by God's Spirit alone that we experience this anointing. In Scripture, we always see anointing happening to somebody. It is never something that they manufacture on their own. Usually, it's God that pursues the individual and he thrusts them into the appointed task. We see this with Moses, we see this with David, with Samson, with the disciples. We see this with people that have been anointed by God. And so how do we participate in it? How do we participate in anointing like this? How do we get this extra excellence from God to do what he has called us to do? Do we have to be chosen like David? Do we have to encounter a burning bush like Moses did? In short, yeah, we do. But not in the way that you may expect. Not in the way that you may expect. You see, we're looking for burning bushes. We're looking for a Samuel to come and anoint our head with oil and say, hey, you're king now. But Christ has appointed you. He died for you. He bled for you. And he offered himself to you. And when you accepted that, and when you said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, he saved you. He saved you. And in that, he has chosen you to be anointed. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That God has already called you and prepared this amazing thing for you to walk into. You know, God has already appointed all of those kids that you have. He has chosen them for you, and he's chosen you for them. The place where you're at as a student, the place where you're at with your family, he has appointed all of these things for you to step into. Ephesians 1, 4 says this, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Guys, the cross is our burning bush. The cross is the calling. That when Christ died for you, he called you into these things. He called you into them. And there is no doubt you have been appointed by Christ. He chose you. He bled for you. He gave you his spirit. And now he wants to anoint you for the work. So our job now 
is not to utilize our talent or ask God for us to be better at some sort of skill or hone our craft more, though we should be doing those things. Rather, it's to sit under him as David sat under Samuel. Notice how David didn't anoint himself. He just kind of sat under it and received it. You notice that? He didn't manufacture anything in and of himself. All he did was dedicate his life to being close to God. The anointing came, and then he just still remained close to God. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's awesome. This is cool. Because you are now this royal priesthood. You are chosen. You are called. But sometimes we don't feel chosen. I know sometimes I don't necessarily feel like this royal priesthood. And I think David's life is still encouraging here. Because David was anointed by God. Samuel left. And it's not like David just walked into the throne room and said, Oh, Saul, this is awkward. I'm king now. (laughs) David had to face misery. David had to still tend sheep. And then he went into the courts and he he was a musician for the king. And then he was a warrior. He defeated Goliath, all this victory. And then he he tried to be killed. And then he went into the wilderness. Chaos. Chaos. But it says that the anointing followed him all the days of his life. The presence of God was on him. And so, when we think of anointing for this specific task, for this specific calling, let us not think that it's something that we enter into and now everything's easy. Anointing, anointing is the manifest presence of God giving you an unction to be faithful and to be effective any circumstance that surrounds that calling. When the kids are delightful, when the kids are screaming, when the work, you are getting praise for the hard work that you do, or when you are being undervalued by your boss. When you get an A, when you get a C. The anointing of God is meant to be faithful alongside and in cooperation with God. That he is the one setting the captives free, and the anointing is, like I said, him deputizing us to be faithful next to him and beside him. And that as chaos ensues and surrounds us, we get to still be participators in this wonderful thing that Jesus has called us into. For the moms, for the dads, for the entrepreneurs, for the students, for the calm group leaders, for the missionaries, for the artists. You have been chosen as a royal priesthood, and our function in this priesthood varies from person to person. But one thing that does not vary is God's faithfulness. And that it is his mission, and he's walking in it, and we just get to walk beside him. And the anointing is just Jesus saying, hey, I want you to keep up with me. I want you beside me. I want you to see all of the things I'm, I'm, I'm about to do. And I want, I want you to be used like this. 
And I can tell you from personal experience, it is a hellish endeavor to lean on talent alone. And not only is it a hellish endeavor, but it is a lonely endeavor. It is a lonely thing, and it is an exhausting thing to rely on your own energy, on your own willpower, on your own skill and talents, to try and accomplish the things of God. And if we want to be excellent in what God has called us to, why wouldn't we pray for anointing? Why wouldn't we sit under God and say, whatever you have to give me, give it. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I think that's what the Spirit is calling us into this morning. Is to sit under God and say, anoint me, O Lord. Anoint me in whatever you have. Anoint me as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a student, as an artist, as a worker, as a leader. In whatever it might be. And I can't tell you your calling, but I can tell you that God has called you, and he will anoint you, and that he does love you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we desire your anointing this morning. Oh, Lord, we just want, we want to sit here. We want to sit here, Lord, and just receive whatever you have to give. We know that anointing is for you and by you. And so this morning, I think, I think what we need to do, we all, we're just going to relinquish control to you with open arms. Say, Lord, here I am. In whatever capacity and whatever calling you have for me, here I am. Anoint me and use me. Lord, we know that you are the mover. And we just want to move with you. Anoint us, Lord. We pray that, God, you would be present. And that in anyone here who's feeling doubt and self-criticism and feeling like they're walking, they're calling, but they don't have power, give them that, Lord. We love you, Lord, in your name.